I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Melissa Payne is the best-selling and award-winning author of The Secrets of Lost Stones, Memories in the Drift, and The Night of Many Endings. She first learned the real importance of storytelling when she worked for a residential and day treatment center for abused and neglected children, where she wrote speeches and letters to raise funds. The truth in those children's stories was piercing and painful, written to invoke a call to action in the reader, to give, to help, and to make a difference. Melissa's love of writing and sharing stories in all forms has endured. She lives in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains with her husband and three children, a friendly mutt, a very loud cat, and the occasional bear. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much, Chris. Your latest novel, A Light in the Forest, features a main character with a traumatic past. Tell us about it. A Light in the Forest is a story about resilience and courage in the darkest of times and despite generational trauma. It's about Vega, a young mother on the run from an abusive relationship who finds refuge in a small town with dark secrets of its own and discovers a mystery connected to her in ways she never anticipated. And she learns that the love of family there can be found even in the unlikeliest of places. At its heart, A Light in the Forest is about community. It's about family, it's about breaking destructive cycles, and learning to trust others even when everything seems lost. From what I read, your past career coincides with mine in the nonprofit oh. world, worked for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation for six years. And, oh, that's and in that world, storytelling, mm-hmm. whether it was asking for grants or supporting your clients, was very important. And I read that you also have a background doing the same thing. So can you tell us a little bit about how you've taken those lessons and plugged them into your writing? Absolutely. That's so neat because you definitely understand this too. But when you are fundraising for an organization, especially one that works with people, it's really important to share their stories. It's really important because we need to raise the money to do the work for the organization. To do that, we have to share stories with donors to help them to see when we're asking you for our money, here's where it's going. Here's who it's going to help. Here's why the boring part of administrative is important because that's going to support the real true mission of this organization. At Tennyson Center, we worked with abused and neglected children, had to share their stories. And it was incredibly difficult to do that because their stories were horrific. They were these amazing humans who just desired a family and love, everything that all of us want. To get that message across, I had to understand them and empathize. And I knew a lot of those kids. But telling somebody else's story, it's important and it has to be done with care and compassion. So that's where I first learned like telling stories for this organization isn't just telling a story. I really want to get across why this person that we want to help this child is important and why their desires and their needs and their wants deserve what this organization can provide for them. So I learned a lot. And as I've grown as a writer writing fictional characters, I love characters who are based in reality, who are real characters, real people. And they're not people I know. They are fictional, but they all have a story that I'm bringing to the page. And I want readers to identify with them. I want them to be relatable. 
And so I take that kind of same steps of care and compassion to tell their story the way I did in my earlier career. I'm trying to think. I quit working there in 2015 to write full time, but I remember having to ride that line. You will recognize this when I say it, having to ride that, that fine line between telling enough to make an impact. I had a 14 month old client and family friend who is on an insulin pump and whose mother has to test her blood sugar a dozen times a day. And that was really traumatic for everyone involved. But there's also that fine line between how much of their story you reveal to make an impact and how much exposing them too much. Until you brought this up, I hadn't really thought about how we have to do the same thing in our novels. You know, we want our readers to see and really feel that pain, but we also have to balance it and not get them over the head with it. And so with what you did, though, any nonprofit that helps helps other people and children especially is very important. But, you know, when you're talking about children with trauma and telling their stories, have you seen that in your writing where you've had to tiptoe a little bit? Well, absolutely. I mean, in this one, this deals with a lot of very traumatic events. Um, a lot of trauma. I don't want to write and glorify trauma. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so in this book in particular, it was that fine balancing act of who are these people? Not who they are with their trauma. What has their trauma made them? Who are these people? I also don't want to minimize what people go through. Anyone who's experienced whether it's the generational kind or in their own lives, I don't want to minimize what that, how that impacts people. But I also, in this story, in anything I write, I don't want to sensationalize that. The point is, how then do these people grow or this character, like my character, Ega, what's her path? And how can we see what's beautiful about her? My other character in here, Eve, she's this deeply empathetic woman who was so fun to write for me because she has experienced the near-death experience. And doing the research into near-death experiences was really fascinating. And she came out of that, as many do, a very changed person, but Mm -hmm. even more rooted in who she already knew she was. Writing her and getting that across throughout and making sure that she was, she had experienced so much in her her younger life, but peeling away those layers and showing, no, this is who this person is at her very core. It's a challenge, right? For us as writers, Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to work on it a little bit. Stories of my characters are so important to me and it's important that I do them justice. And so that means also as a writer, taking a step back from my experiences and allowing that character to be who they are, and then coming back in and and figure out how to get it all on the page. Just like you probably saw with your clients that, you know, the people that you were, whose stories you were telling, that they don't want to be identified only as the person with trauma, the person with type one diabetes, the person with cancer. They want to be a whole person who just happens to have had this. And sometimes them happening to have that does make a huge impact, but you know, you have to show that other side too. And so well, exactly. It sounds yes. like you've had to, yeah, you, you, yeah. you know how this goes. <laughs> I do. And actually what I say, I worked with kids who had been abused, neglected. That's an important distinction because Words are important. And when we say an abused and neglected child, or we say a child who has been, you are separating those two. This is a child who has experienced this, but that is not who they are. 
Um, and so you're right. And that it is very important, whether we're dealing with very real people or our characters. That was a lesson I had to learn too. Even daughter, I had to learn that Jamie is not a diabetic. Jamie has diabetes. I do want to tell you, this was such a big part of this book. My dad was a type one diabetic. Oh, wow. And we lost him last year oh, while I'm I was so writing sorry. this book. Oh my Thank gosh, you. I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry if, no. I, if I'm if i bringing no, you back there. No, not at all. Because he was booster child for a type one diabetic. He was diagnosed at a time where there were nothing like we have now, which I'm right. so grateful that we have what we have now for people with diabetes. But he was an incredibly strong man. And, and the reason it, it means a lot to me, actually, because a lot of this book happened when he was ill and then mm. after he died. And this book was a labor of love because there was a lot personally going on. And as a writer, mm. one thing we can distinguish between our writing and personal life, but so often that just mingles and gets really messy. And it got real messy with this book. But as my characters in this book discover the love of family and community, I also had the same experience because people came in and supported me and gave me the space to write when they were grieving and in pain too. And so anyway, I, I'm glad you, you've been talking about it. Thank I'm you sweet. for working. I'm sorry about your dad. And I'm sure there are parts in that book that are punctuated by what was going on in your life when you were writing those scenes. Whenever you write a book, it's you have right. All of us, remember. all writers have that. Your life gets in. Mm -hmm. It gets all like mixed up, whether you wanted to or not. Like it or not. That's <laughs> we don't write in isolation. So we have to figure no. out how to roll with that. Melissa, this is your fourth novel. How has your process changed since you published your first? I love this question. <laughs> this one goes hand in hand with where do you write and what time do you like to write? And what is your perfect <laughs> setting? Well, yeah. similar to what we just talked about, I have found my process change. Each book is different. I am developing a process of, okay, I, I definitely like to do A, B, or C, but I have allowed myself to learn as I go and to make it work with however I'm directed or inspired at that time. So my process has not looked exactly the same. But one thing I have started to do in the last few books is I write a full synopsis that's my outline. And I might deviate from it almost like we have a movie and I have my summary, but it's like my little mini book. And I'm like, here's my little mini book <laughs> in my synopsis. And that's what I'm going to write. And so that ends up being an outline. After that, I'm a very linear writer and I write from page one to the end. I will go back and look and kind of make adjustments. I don't really do if there have to be any huge edits. I'm okay with them to be in rounds two, three, four. I, I like to just get a manuscript completed. Mm -hmm even if it's ugly. <laughs> I was talking to an author, he brought up Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird. Yep. And right, crappy. Yeah, yeah. When I was a newbie writer and somebody said synopsis, I thought they were talking about maybe a page, page and a half. And I know from talking to many authors now that when they say a full synopsis, it's usually not a page and a half. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into that synopsis? Basically what it looks like when you sit down to write the draft. I'm writing a synopsis, I would recommend it for most writers, even though none of us like it. But if you haven't written the story yet, it's easier to write a synopsis. I think it's harder to go back, like in the days when I was querying, before I had an agent, you know, some agents would say, well, send me the first 10 pages and a one page synopsis. I mean, how do I... How do I condense this huge book I wrote into one page? I mean, that was just mind-blowing. Doing it before you've written a book really helps you to streamline who are my main characters? What is his arc? Where is the plot and the pacing? You know, like it, it makes me address all those big issues 
while they're not perfect and they're not completely laid out and I might not have all my subplots in there, I have a story, a story I could like, you know, tell someone at bedtime, I could read to my kids. <laughs> Here's a story. Here's what happens in this book. And so that's kind of where I focus on that is just, I love it because it helps me to distill it all down. And then I get to put it into a book. How many words do your books end at ballpark? They're about 90,000. For a 90,000 page, uh, 90,000 page. Ooh, that's a big book. <laughs> I probably have written that many pages. <laughs> <laughs> For a 90,000 word book, how many pages would you say your full synopsis ends up being? Let's see. I have, I'm going to look at probably like 10 to 12 pages. Okay. Or maybe okay. Set, anywhere from seven to 12 depending on how excited I got while I was writing it. How long does it take for you to write the synopsis? I have a synopsis that I just sold another, a book uh, with a synopsis. Congratulations. um, Thank you. And that one actually just came out, just flew out of me. I was like, oh, it was like the easiest birth ever. Um, Yeah. And I I just knew this, I could see the characters. Now the challenge is I got the bones of this story down and into the synopsis. It took me a week. And then to go back and then work on it to make sure it, you know, I was addressing everything. So the synopsis I work with, close friend who's a writer who does developmental stuff for me. Mm-hmm. And then I also send it to my agent. Like I'm now in these opening chapters of the new book. And I'm okay that my character's already shifting a little bit. They're just little things. They're like, well, that doesn't fit him. Like it did in the synopsis and the bare bones. But as I'm getting to know this main character that doesn't fit. So I'm okay then to play loosey goosey with some things. I mean, the main story state is staying the same. Little details don't have to be exactly how I wrote them in the synopsis. Do you have to run those changes by your editor? No. I mean, unless I were to completely change the story, because they bought this story, if I were to completely change it and it looked nothing, then yeah, I would probably want to talk to them. (laughs) But since these are small things, again, I'm not changing anything that they loved about the story. Sure enough, we go to bed tonight and publishing looks different the next day than it did today. Four books later, what changed? I know a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like I know as much. If you'd asked me before my first book was published, what I think I would be like in four books later, I think I would have imagined myself as a very sophisticated author who knew a whole lot about the industry. That is not me. <laughs> I mean, I do feel more confident in my writing. I love what I'm doing. I feel so grateful to be able to write stories and that people read them and that I have a lot of readers who really identify and relate to the characters and to the stories. And that is such a gift. So happy about that. There's a lot that I still wonder about. You know, I went this certain path and I love my agent. And with Lake Union, they're amazing. I've been very happy, but that's my only experience. I'm always interested in talking to other writers. Well, what's your experience? How did you get here? Because I think we have a lot to learn from each other. But as far as the publishing industry, that just seems to be constantly changing. How did you know you were destined to become a writer? I sound so Lord of the Rings. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, always, I've always loved writing from a very young age. The minute I learned, I, well, I loved reading. But the minute, you know, I had a pen in my hand and I have terrible penmanship, by the way, Uh, terrible. (laughs) And they used to grade you back in elementary school, way back in the day that grade your penmanship. Mine was always lagging, but (laughs) I knew I loved to write. Continues to be an expression where I am the most comfortable. When email came out, because you're with me on that one, right? Remember they used pre-email and then when email came out and I could write someone an immediate email those emails tended to be long stories with beginning, middles, and ends. And this could just be about like, I don't know, how I came home 
from a trip. So I didn't actually start my career until I was 40. Well, maybe a little bit before 40. I don't know. The, the years are blurring now, but I, um, <laughs> as they do, as they do, I got to this point where I was kind of just looking to do something a little bit different and either go along the path I'd been on or do something different. And I got a lot of encouragement from my family and my husband, go for it. You've always, I started a blog pre-COVID way a long time ago, little kids. I'd broken my foot and my daughter had broken her collarbone. We were laid up and I was like, I'm going to write. So I started a blog and it was very like Irma Bombeck style. If you remember her, (laughs) oh yeah, loved her very much about laundry and motherhood, but it released me to just, just that idea of, uh, I guess it was almost like a getting over that publishing scare of like, how could I ever publish something blogging? You know, it's just like, Oh, I'm just going to put it out there and it might not be perfect, but I'm just going to make sure it's a story that somebody will enjoy reading. And they were short little snippets of real life. And I loved it. And I felt so much freedom in that. So from there, years later, I thought maybe I could write a book. I'd met a, a dad at the school where my kids went and he'd written a book. He had an agent and he was going out on um, submission. And I was like, I want to do that. And so <laughs> I decided to do that. And I wrote a book eight months later. <laughs> Did you sell your first book? No, I did not. I wrote that book in eight months, did all the, you know, critique groups and did all the things before I started to query. And I query 99 agents <laughs> and 99 <laughs> times they told me no, which, you know, I feel somehow I just, cause I didn't break a hundred cause I stopped, but <laughs> I queried 99 agents, got told no 99 times and decided I would write another book. I wrote that in half the time, went through the same like pretty heavy critique and editing process. And that's my first book, The Secrets of Lost Stones. So, um, but I'm very, very grateful for that process. I'm grateful for the rejections. That's kind of my big thing. Mm -hmm. When I talk to people who want to be writers, you have to learn how to be rejected. Even when your book is published, there are going to be people who don't like your book. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And there'll be people who want to kind of tell you about that. Maybe at a book club, maybe just in an email. You, you kind of have to learn or on a public forum and tag you in their comments. <laughs> Do they tag us? I don't know. They really should. Please don't. Please don't tag anybody. <laughs> Please. You can say it. Just, it's okay. Talk about behind my back. I don't need it. I was one of those people that like, I finished the manuscript and within 24 hours, I sent out queries. Big mistake. Anybody listening oh, to this, no. do not do that. Do not do that. If you know someone who's considering doing that, take away their computer. Stop them. And so, of course, I got the slew of the interns sending me the, they're not interested in this. Thank you. I didn't even get it from the agent most of the time. You're talking about you've got to learn to take that rejection, but you also have to learn to take that feedback, even Mm -hmm. if it's bad. So in the nose, you have to like weed through Mm -hmm. how they said no to decide how does this apply to my manuscript? What am I doing wrong? Which is why it's also so critical to be in a critique group Mm -hmm. and to go through some sort of developmental edit. I mean, not to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for one. I think you can find a a good editor who can do it for Mm -hmm. less than some some of the costs. But yeah, I think it's just really important to do the due diligence beforehand. Like you're saying, not send it right away to be okay to go through, okay, I wrote something. I'm really proud of this, but now I need to rewrite it or now I need to work on it and make it better. We're so afraid of that. Even mm-hmm. writers, writers are so afraid of that because I think we're afraid that if this isn't good enough, as I just wrote it, I'm not good enough. 
We go deeply internal almost immediately. Instead of saying, how about put all everything you love on this manuscript and then put it outside, like rip it out, (laughs) put your heart beating on the table and then let it be surgically looked at. You'll get the heart back, but let it be surgically looked at and, and know that it's not you. This is the process. This is writing. Right. But it feels like you're doing that. And then somebody's taking a big knife and going, eh, eh, eh. okay, it's there is that too. There is that too. <laughs> yeah. And that keeps going. <laughs> have you read anything particularly interesting lately? Oh my gosh. I have read a couple of nonfiction, one nonfiction, Life and Death in Shanghai by Nian Chang. I'm probably like destroying her name. And it's about her time when she was imprisoned during the Cultural Revolution in China. Oh, wow. It's an autobiography. It is beautifully written. It is full of information. It's like a historical fiction, but it's real. If I could have met her while she was alive, she would be one of those people I would say, I'd like to have dinner with this person. <laughs> and then right now I'm reading a Kristen Hanna, an old one, Magic Hour. Yeah. One that I read this year, Homegoing, Ya yes. Gayasi. Yes. Am I saying her name right? I'm going to um, say yes, but okay. it's not my name. My daughter said oh. that, like that is one of her all-time favorite books. She said it was just life-changing. Same. It is. It's beautifully done. It is uncompromising. It's honest. It is so well done. You know, it follows mm-hmm. a generation on, on two sides, but to do that well takes a whole lot of skill, I think. And this, all those short stories just weave together so beautifully. Yeah. That was my favorite book of the year. What would you say is the most fun about writing? The fun part is where I am now with the newest book, which is in this beautiful land where I'm painting and creating and everyone is shiny and beautiful right now (laughs) because no one's gotten their hands in it to tell me what I've done wrong. (laughs) I just love this creative stage where it's me and the characters. The work for me comes in the revisions where you have to take a scalpel a little bit. In the earlier stages, painting, it's a blank canvas. And I just find that to be so exciting and so fun. Right now, Melissa is the four-year-old with the markers on the wall (laughs) whose mother has not yet discovered her brilliant work. (laughs) That's exactly it. You did that so well. Everyone's (laughs) going to love this so much. You know, when you're in the stage where you're writing the next bestseller, I've just written it. Nobody knows about it yet. (laughs) Don't tell. Don't tell. Do you have any advice for our new writers? Yes. To just keep writing. Think of Dory in your head. (laughs) Just keep swimming. Just keep writing. Just keep writing. Just keep writing. It's so simplistic to keep writing and to be confident, but not so confident that you ever get to the point where you can't go through and edit and learn. The one thing I love about writing is I don't ever think I'm suddenly there and I've learned everything I can. Writing is constantly an evolving discipline. For me, at least, each new book is a chance for me to tell a story in a different way, maybe tell it better, maybe get a character description in a way I've never thought of, or to just get the story to a level I never thought I could do. Every book to me is a challenge. And so for new writers, think of it as a lifelong journey, not even, oh, once I'm published, that'll be it. It'll be the best. And it is. It's wonderful. And I wish that for anyone who wants to write and be published, that journey should go well beyond that and allow it to. And also just write, right, right, right. Yeah, right. Just write. Don't (laughs) stop. And don't don't send the query the second you finish your (laughs) What have we learned from today? (laughs) Melissa has terrible writing. 
And Chris <laughs> got very excited about a query. <laughs> yes, she did. Well, thank you, Melissa. This has been a lot of fun. It has been fun. Thank you, Chris. To learn more, visit melissapainauthor.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.